Hey, welcome to Bonehead. This week's episode is Del Toro Films. The ones that he made and the ones that he didn't make. Which he's almost more famous for. Del Guillermo Del Toro is who? Guillermo Del Toro. Famous director, writer, producer, actor, video game, avatar. Also, his name means of the bull. Isn't he in a video game? Uh, there's actually an entire thing. He actually, and I'm going to Oh, no, let's that. not get to it yet. Okay, okay. Do we need credits anywhere in here? Roll the credits. Why don't I automatically Am I allowed hustle, to drink huh? during the credits? Uh, are you allowed to drink anytime? Nope. No. No. <laughs> all right, anyway, back. It's the, all credits are now, the credits are now over. Magic time. Haley, cut in. <laughs> Hi, Haley. Haley's not waving back. She's holding the camera. So anyway, we're talking about Del Toro. Guillermo Del Toro just won what? An Oscar. Golden Globe. An Oscar. Yeah, a Golden Globe. That's the really prestigious one. He hasn't got the EGOT yet. No, that's true. He's or not a Ghostbusters e fan. Or the EGOT. Spikes. Oh, that's true. Does he have an Emmy? No, I don't know. No. If I've learned anything from The Simpsons, if anybody gives you an Emmy, you have to give it away as soon as possible. So, coming he soon, won. though, he's doing a Netflix show. He, won, he made a movie about a guy who's a fish man who has sex with a deaf woman. Who, uh, who, 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 adop who adopts a stuffed teddy Let bear. Let me check real yeah. quick. Is that the exact definition on the back of the case? Son of a gun it is. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. That's what got him his Oscar. Not Pan's Labyrinth, not a modern day classic. No, no. Beautiful. Actually, Beautiful. I will I will argue with Brandon Griffith. We had this argument on the on an episode of the Scarefest Radio, but I defend The Shape of Water. It's a very good film. Well, I don't yeah. know that it's his best film. Yeah, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. Yeah. It's an amazing film. It's not his best film. No. You know that you have to also give him credit for and one thing I do want to say is of also bringing attention to different types of films as a producer. Absolutely. As a producer as well as a director. Cause, yeah. uh, and we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. So do you want to start out with stuff he's done? Do you want to start out? I mean, that would be the shorter part, wouldn't it? No, uh, I just want to talk about our favorite cheese, Brie. <laughs> it's not Brie. Brie nah, sucks. Brie is, ugh. Brie is too French, soft. French. Is it too, hey, don't is spend it too, too warm much, in here for Brie? Don't spend too much time talking about Brie. Larson. When you're talking about Brie, you want to be brief. Why are you always up in his... Could you explain there. to me that joke he just did? I mean, no, see, because it wasn't very name. funny. I was going to do it. I was going to do an Allison Brie. I did a Brie Larson. You know what? You Allison said, Brie. Those are two different people, right? Yes. Allison Brie is on community. She was on community, and Brie Larson is a uh, Captain Marvel. She was also She's in that movie about that room with King you know, Kong. Yeah. She was with that movie King Kong, and, and, where King Kong was in that room, and they Chad. had her. King Kong had her locked up in that room. <laughs> Chad. Chad. Chad, you know what? There's something about cheese you need to know. What? Some of it is Gouda. Oh, God. It's good to me. It's good to you. So, anyway, Del Toro is a famous filmmaker, and we're huge fans, and we will probably tag him in Twitter later on this, and he will totally ignore More us. Yeah. But never let it be said that we didn't try. His first film is... Kronos. The Hands of Fate. The oh. Vampire Hunter. The... <laughs> Kronos the, the Vampire, Vampire Hunter. Hunter. Look it up. It has nothing to do with Del Toro, yeah. but it's a fun we movie. We probably should have done that one. It's for movies that you've never seen. All right, so Kronos. Kronos is a film about vampires. <clears throat> He's visited vampires more than once, a couple of times. In fact, he wrote three novels about the strain. Mm -hmm. But Kronos is about an elderly gentleman who's a grandfather 
who discovers the Kronos device, and it basically is a makes him into kind of a different kind of vampire, where it works on you, but you eventually have a thirst for blood. Yeah, and it makes him younger, right? Mm-hmm. And it really isn't about vampires; it's about the relationship with him and his grandson. That's exactly what it is, right? Yeah, and that's what makes it beautiful. With like most great Del Toro films, that. The monster monster element is kind of like the subplot. It's not the main plot. It's not the main plot. And I don't know. And and if you listen to the... Because I wasn't... We'll get to Crimson Peak in a few minutes, though. But he's not usually really... Plot isn't his number one thing. Plot is usually secondary to other things. Like art direction. And he talks about this in Crimson Peak. Well, and all of his movies, whether you love them or not... And we've talked about this with other directors, like whether you love Rob Zombie films or not, but when you see a Rob Zombie film, it's a Rob Zombie I film. I know it's a Rob Zombie film. And I would say Del Toro is the same way, in that I've <laughs> never seen a, a, seen a Del Toro film where I haven't been like, there was something beautiful about it. Yeah. Budget high, budget low, but there's always something where you're like, yeah, that just looked cool. The next one is Mimic, correct? Well, what about Devil's Backbone? Devil's Backbone came after Mimic. Ooh, okay. Devil's Backbone. So he went to work in Hollywood. Uh, he was, Kronos kind of put him on the map as an independent filmmaker at a time when you could do that. That's no longer a possibility, really, in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. But he got to work for Dimension Films. Now, who ran Dimension Films? Merrimax. Oh, Harvey Weinstein. The Weinsteins. Now, what is the Weinstein? What is particularly famous? What is Harvey Weinstein famous for? Uh, discovering Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, not rape at all. I was trying to be more positive, <laughs> but you're right. He's a he's a he's a despicable not scumbag. Only, let's not, not, let's who not, just got arrested? Who just got arrested? And we're as far as removed from Hollywood as you can get. And we knew that Harvey was a deep. I didn't know about the rape, but I knew about the, him being horrible. Say, well, he also, too, he, he, not he, uh, only just the rape. It's just the. Uh, and by the way, the rape is the absolute worst. We're, yeah. We're yes, thank but, you, Norm McDonald. But. The hypocrisy was the worst. <laughs> well, I mean, but anyway. No, I think it was the right. <laughs> um, but we're getting off the his his damage to potted plants. <laughs> you know that story. I mean, that's not necessarily rape. That's just flipping weird. Weird. I agree. So like, we're getting off. And nobody can get away with that. I don't care who you are. Captain Planet's in the corner so, crying, <laughs> taking a cold shower at this time. <laughs> don't chance. <laughs> if you get a chance, is is Mimic up there? I can't see. Yes, okay. So if you get a chance to pick up a special edition, or you come over to my basement and pay me $100, and I'll sit and explain it to you, and we'll watch the movie together. It's actually my least favorite Del Toro film. I love scenes in it, though. I saw it in the theater when it came out, and I thought this was, you know, a flawed movie, but uh, beautiful. You know, and first, from someone who with a distinct voice. You know, the first time I saw Mimic, uh, scenes from Mimic, I didn't see it all this way, but was actually in a biology class. There you go. Uh, uh, the, the the biology uh, teacher was making the comment about adaptation and blah, 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 and just used certain scenes from that movie about how certain things could be adapted and certain life forms can adapt in certain ways, but there's still certain solid elements that we can't adapt around using the feet, for example. So Mimic, he talks about it. If you watch the special edition, he didn't never really got his director's cut till years later. That's the director's cut as much as can be assembled. Um, they tried to fire him a couple of times. Mira Servino, who was the star of the film, had to stand up for him and say, no, if you fire him, I'll walk. 
they never really got their vision together. He was 34 years old, and he talks about being crucified and being now 34. If you're a religious person, is a uh, it's a fine time to get crucified. Other yeah. famous people have done it at 34 years old. Yeah, and um, so I'm sorry. We've got we've got talking behind the camera. You guys got something mad? No, okay. I'm sorry. You were just talking. So anyway, mimic. Check it out. Robert Rodriguez is one of the several other filmmakers that worked on this. Yeah. Who did Second Unit, ended up reshooting stuff on that because they were all working for the Weinsteins. It was Robert Rodriguez and there was another famous filmmaker who reshot stuff on this. A couple of the shots in the director's cut are Robert Rodriguez's. He'll point them out. They and there weren't there wasn't any kind of animosity between Del Toro and Rodriguez as far as I know. In fact they were friends. It's just they were you know, Rodriguez had a job to do. Yeah. And he was yeah. getting paid to do it. So we finally got his director's cut out of this at least 15, almost 20 years later. And check it out. It's an interesting movie. It's still flawed. Is it a great film? No. It has an interesting concept. It has a wonderful, wonderful performance from a great character actor named Charles S. Dutton. From Rock. From Rock, who was famous for that. And he's also the best part of Alien 3. Yes. Charles right. S. Dutton is an underappreciated character actor. Character actor. Charles S. Dutton, by the way, and, and credit, you mentioned Rock, but Rock also for a long time was live. Yes. The last yeah, well, couple the seasons. Well, the last couple seasons, yeah. They, they, they did were, it live, which is, oh, I didn't know that. for a yeah. sitcom to be live. So when, when we're getting off Del Toro again, but, but Rock, but, you know, they did a couple of specials in the early seasons where he was live, and it was so successful that, it, okay, we'll just make the whole show live. And that's how, like, the last one or two seasons went. So that's just, I mean, off Del Toro, but you have to give yeah, Charles an actor credit. There are other good actors in that movie. I just always remember Charles, Charles Dutton. Yeah, Charles Dutton, Dutton. That's the cop. Um, the next one is The Devil's Backbone. Ah, oh, such a good movie. It is. It takes place in Spain after World War II. Right, correct? right. And uh, who was the, who's the dictator? Uh, uh I keep wanting to say Franco Nero Spain. <laughs> it's not. It's oh, not. I want to say Mussolini. It's not Mussolini. Mussolini. By the way, I would it's, watch uh, Franco Nero Spain right now. In a uh, in a boys' school, is it a Jesuit school? All boys' school. It's an all boys' school. Yeah, I it's like an it's orphanage. A, it's it? like an orphanage, and there's a dead ghost from a dead boy. And there's an unexploded bomb out in the yard. Mm -hmm. And once again, it's about. It's not about the ghost. No. It's about dealing and coming of age at that time in a horrible situation Wait, with horrible people. Yes. Unexploded bombs are movie tropes all, all of their own. They're, I mean, you can find those throughout, especially movies that focus mm -hmm. on certain time periods. Uh, there's one in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. There's one in... There's a, there's a MASH episode. No, I haven't seen... Bre I couldn't tell you the plot of Bedknobs and um, Oh, who's the actor that played the father of Mary Poppins and pays... Uh, plays Christopher Plummer? No. No, no, no. That's, you, that's sound of music. You're thinking of that one movie. Anyway, he gets his mansion because he doesn't care that there's an unexploded bomb in front of it, so he just moves in. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, the de I think it's probably one that a lot of people that in Kronos haven't seen. Right. Yeah. Um, should we keep going? That was loud. Sorry about that. Anyway, I have to keep my notes over here. So, it was on, your computer, it was on the computer and it was over oh, okay, both gotcha. updating and it was my Outlook. <clears throat> the next one after that, I think, is Blade 2. Yeah. Probably the most commercially successful. One of his recently. most. I mean, of, of, out of all of it's them. It's the one that put him on the map to continue on doing what. Yeah, and why did he do Blade 2? Do you guys know? So he could do Hellboy. So he could do Hellboy. 
That was it. Yep. Couldn't get Hellboy off the ground. And he'd always wanted to do Hellboy, and he did Blade Two for that. And he there's did... a great documentary called American Nightmare where he actually goes into that of why you would do it. Too. Yeah, why he did Blade Two. Blade Two is probably his most commercially fun film. Uh, I enjoyed a lot, Chad. Yep, I enjoy I, it. It's by all. It, there is no argument here. I anybody who says that's not the best out of the Blade films, I just want to smack the crap out of them. <laughs> Are you now? Are you including Blade House of Cthulhu? What is it called? What the hell are you talking? You don't remember about? that the TV movie that they did? I never oh, saw where, it. That, that was spun off into the, the, the TV, TV show. Series. Yeah, no, I didn't know. Because you now get the four pack and it includes that one. Never I, saw it. I saw it when it first aired. Never saw it. I don't remember. I don't remember anything okay. about it. Anyway, go out check out Blade Two. I'm, I'm assuming most of you have is written by David Goyer. It has some great lines. It also Who went on to direct Blade Trinity, Trinity the third which is film, a terrible movie. Which is a terrible movie that stars Ryan Reynolds as a comic book hero. Which is the just Ryan Reynolds. By the way, Ryan Reynolds is the only redeemable part of that whole film. Yeah. yeah. Right. What else? Triple is- H. Ryan Reynolds is the only <laughs> part of that. Whole Unless movie. Hunter, Hunter wants to come on the show and defend. I don't himself. even like the first Blade. Hunter you all always defend it. I like the first Blade. We had, if, if you remember, if you watch the show a lot, go back and watch a Mixtron episode yeah, talking about Stephen Norrington working if, on their first Blade. For better or for worse, I say for better, even though it's getting kind of, and it's getting kind of exhausting. If we didn't have the Blade movie, we it's one of the the, the catalysts to giving us the current uh, plethora of comic book movies best. that we have. That's true. That's so. true. What's next? Hellboy? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Hellboy is next. Why do you even ask if you know the answer? I don't know. I'm just making oh. sure it's Hellboy. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I thought you had research. I have all the other ones. I thought you all got them in order. No. What are we doing here? I don't even I thought, know. I'm walking out. I thought we Bye. were focusing on the stuff that he talked about and never made. That's what I, I got. I thought that's what I got, too, but he said we wanted to talk about the other ones. So I never him. said that. Yes, you did. You even said it in a text saying, I thought we were going to talk about the ones that he did. I, let's, I want to look at this text who, first. Who the always oh, bringing up his phone? For those of you in iPod land, yes. I mean, yes. um, no, that's okay. James so anyway, he made, uh, he made Hellboy 1 and Hellboy 2. And those are... are well, you, want to, you want to talk about them for a second? Uh, the, yeah, the Hellboy films are... Um, I mean, they're... they're I said look Hell, through a list. Hellboy is not an epically well-known superhero as compared to a lot of what we see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is not Superman. Um, but if you are a comic fan, you're at least vaguely aware of Hellboy, published by Dark Horse. Yep. Um, created Magnolia. by Mike Magnolia. Uh, when they first met to talk about who they were going to cast... They both said Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman was who they both wanted, um, which worked out phenomenally well the thing about hellboy um and there's a spinoff in his own right hellboy is the anchor of a universe because there's a brpd there's mm-hmm. all these other characters now that inhabit a universe that have had their own series or limited series um but what makes hellboy interesting is much like several other characters that i love uh in comic books hellboy gets the living crap kicked out of him more often than not hellboy right. is the blue collar so uh blue yeah. collar right yeah. Superhero. Right. Who loves cats? Who loves cats? I mean, obviously, it's a Del Toro... Fe- Most of his fetishes are probably Del Toro's fetishes. Right? So, watch the movie, and that usually tells you what what you want to know about the director. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's obsessed with cats, eats a lot, uh, is uh, kind of a romantic. Mm-hmm. He's In very his much own a romantic. way. Yeah. Um, doesn't have a lot of love for 
bureaucracy or authority, or authority yeah. that, which we'll, we'll, the, be getting, we'll be getting into. The yeah. structured system. Uh, after right. we get through this list. So that would bring us to Pan's Labyrinth, which is his best film. Uh, Bar the, none. Bar Pan's none. Labyrinth, best film. Pan's Labyrinth, you can mute, watch it in the original language without subtitles, and, and it's still compelling. And yeah. it's still gut-wrenching, too. And it's still gut-wrenching. Because yeah. anybody who doesn't get to the end of that movie and have a tear coming out of their eye has no soul. Um, or, it's close, I, I honestly, because it's it's bittersweet, and if you're watching this and you've never seen it, I don't want to give too much no, away. No, no spoilers. But, I mean, she it's tragic, and she gets what she wants all at the same yeah. time. But well, and well, then and there's an argument that you know because it's it's open for interpretation. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To me, she to me it's a tragedy where she gets kind of what she wants into. I think and, though. Where, yeah, yeah. I, I think. And, and by the it. way, one thing we have it's to a mention. Beautiful, beautiful. Fairy we have to tale. mention throughout all of this. Um, Doug Jones. Doug Jones and Ron Perlman are the, Ron Perlman are, are the recurring are the ones, people in all these years. Um, and, and Doug Jones, if you've ever met him, is a stupendously nice human being uh, who... Uh, um, oh, I thought we were doing a dance number. Um, but um, practices mime, does all this stuff. But I have to bring that up for Pan's Labyrinth because the characters that he plays in there, particularly the one that he's best known for in there... The fawn or the, the um, pan... The right. uh, no, I'm actually talking about the, to me the melting man. Yeah, the yeah. melting man. To me, that is. Most, that's the one. I would say that out of all the characters, I, I'll be honest. Pan, it's called Pan's Labyrinth. But if you ask me for the one scene that I constantly go back to in that film, it is where she has to go into that room. I I mean, it's a great yeah. I and just, it it's it's just, it I I watch that scene and it pulls me in. If I'm just channel surfing and it's anywhere near that scene. I don't go back and get a DVD copy of it. I've got one. But I will stop, watch just that scene, and go, oh, I'll watch it on DVD later. But I will stop for that scene mm. every time. There's something about that. And and Doug Jones, to his credit, and, and why Del Toro, I think, continues to work with him, rightfully so, is Doug Jones can have a role where he doesn't speak at all, and it's his movement, and it's his reactions, the way even his head moves, that tells that story. He's a great mind. Yeah, on top of everything else. Go out and check out his mind book, by the way. go If he's at a con, he'll sign it for you, give you a hug. He's one of the... James is right. Chad and I have had great... We've, we could tell you stories about him jumping up in Chad's arms, yeah. my arms. He's, he's just and, a wonderful and, human and being. And if you're not into <laughs> Del Toro-type stories, you can also catch him in Star Trek. He has a reoccurring mm -hmm. role in Star Trek now as Saru. Yeah. Um, so, a fascinating character in its own right, too. There's Crimson Peak, and uh, there's Pacific Rim, two flawed films. Yeah, I would Crimson agree. Peak is beautiful. Uh, Pacific Rim, uh, the criticism I rail at it is what the criticism Stephen King said of The Shining, the Kubrick one. It's a beautiful car with a shitty engine. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree that right, Pacific Rim's a beautiful question. car with a shitty, with a Top Gun plot. I've got a question about that. Between the two, which one do you favor? Crimson Peak. Oh, Pacific yeah. Rim. I love the scene. If you ask me which one's probably the, if to turn my mind off to watch, he's right, Pacific Rim. But if you ask me which is the superior film, it's obviously Crimson Peak. I, I caught Crimson Peak late because my kids were young. I didn't get a chance to catch it in theaters. I actually like Crimson Peak. The problem is it's not a horror film. 
And it was no. marketed as a horror film. It yeah, is called not. a gothic romance. And But a lot of this stuff for me to... When I first watched it, I was like, ah, I mean, it's beautiful. And then when I watched the commentary of him explaining it to me of how this is a type of film. It's called a gothic romance. It was called gothic romantic literature. Yeah. The turn of the century. This is the kind of movie he was making. This kind of that story. There just happened to be ghosts in it. Right? Because Which, there's always ghosts the way, and monsters and all that. Yeah, but a robot films. picks up a ship. Are we you're arguing the other part? Bat. Yeah, I, I agree. It's fantastic. I but don't care about Tom Hiddleston. And, and but I saw it the first time when it was called Robot Jocks. Or you shut your Jones. mouth about Robot Jocks. Pacific Stuart Rim. Gordon, you come on as a show. Oh, yeah, Stuart Gordon. Robot Jocks is fantastic. Not as good as Pacific Rim. Still good. Yeah, you come what? on Whatever. No, and I think that's the thing. Stuart? I think that's the thing that I will give Crimson Peak. And it's why, a superior film. Why Pacific it is Rim? Not. Hold on, let me finish my thought. No! Pacific Rim is something that I've seen before but done well. Mm -hmm. Crimson Peak, I haven't seen anything like that probably since the movies. Maybe a couple in the 70s got there. Are, there are Crimson so Peak is films beautiful. Films. It's really beautiful. It's predictable as hell. Well, yeah. Pacific Rim is, a, not is a giant though? robot holding a ship and hitting a monster with it. Yeah, it's a great scene, Chad. Nobody's arguing with you. For dumb entertainment, it is great. It, and that's what that's what now, I need. Christmas but, but in all fairness, film. are you nope. also going to defend Transformers for being dumb entertainment? No, Transformers is not dumb entertainment. It's just dumb. I guess I shouldn't call Crimson. Uh, 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 I really should. I, 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 I will, Transformers is dumb entertainment. No, I will say Pacific dumb. Rim But you is, say Crimson Peak, can, you can see everything it's not coming dumb entertainment. It, it is pop. It is, it is light. It's 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 the Diet Coke entertainment. <laughs> See, I'm yeah, trying to get away from putting problem, it out And this there. is one thing that's amazing. There's nothing. There's nothing a substance. The diet and this, this is one thing about. And again, this is something that Guillermo del Toro should get credit for. He can make two completely different films and have this argument because Pacific Rim is 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 just cut off your mind action entertainment. Done very well. Done very well. Just still a terrible beautiful, plot. terrible plot. Mm -hmm. Crimson Peak, beautiful film. Just to predict. I really plot. think no, I really think you'd enjoy Graham. it more if you'd listen to the if you'd have him walk you through it and then yeah. rewatch it. It's different. Okay, I, I loved it the first time I saw it. And that I still said Pacific Rim though. The, when you critique Crimson Peak for being predictable, the fact that ten minutes into it, I could honestly just predict. Okay, something's going to happen to the new yeah. the new bots, and, that's, and it's going old Annie's still built. It sounds like it sounds like I'm I'm slamming Crimson Peak. I'm not. I actually really enjoy Crimson Peak. I just. And, and if you're comparing the two... I'll tell you know, why Crimson Peak wins, and I'll take Del Toro out of the equation. Jessica Chastain? No, the acting. Although Jessica Chastain is a good actress. No, the acting. Charlie yeah. Hoonan, or Hoonan, or whatever he is, I swear to God, him and his smell-of-fart acting. Yeah, this is not gravitas. And that's Someone one just movie. cut one? And that's... And the I other smell one. It's the same thing with Jared, Jared Peddle, like Peddle, as James Jared calls him, Jared Peddle Duck from <laughs> Supernatural. Supernatural. Yeah, this yeah. isn't Gravitas. You just smell the fire. I just look good, uh, but no. Oh, um, he's hot. Yeah, the other thing I'll say. Type, the other thing know, I'll say about Pacific Rim too. Thing kind of ruins it. Uh, I felt like Id Idris Elba was not used correctly because uh, Idris Elba is a fantastic, fantastic actor. I could say the same you thing know who probably did use him about correctly? Uh, Thor. You, you know who did use him correctly? Let me make this ten times worse. 
You ever seen them Ghost Rider pictures? <laughs> oh, my they God. Did, he does a better job in the Ghost Rider movie. You were Watch great. it again. Yeah, it's you're, he's the best part, probably. Oh, he is watch the best it, part. But watch really it again, sure. and I will argue that it's some of the best we've got out of both him and, and comic book films, and oddly enough, Christopher Lambert in yeah, the past decade. I agree. He's right. He's yeah. absolutely right. It's a, not a good movie, but he's absolutely right. Yeah. That is a then that to me and the sequel's better than the original. Oh yeah, that to me is turn your mind off entertainment. Yeah, Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance. I mean, it has a yeah. scene with him, the kid imagining Ghost Rider pissing fire. I'm telling fire. you, he yeah. he made the Dark Tower. I mean, it was just <laughs> it was just fantastic from beginning to end. Hey, Haley, what do you think about that statement? Kind of want to throw this camera at him. I saw that look. Is that my camera? No, that's nope. my camera. Good. Then throw the shit at him. <laughs> Hurl it at him. Hurl right. it at him. Hold on. Let's, let's, how good your aim? Do I think the link? How, let's how finish good this, is your aim? Let's finish this up so we can talk about the movies that we want to see made. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're, we're after that, he won for an Oscar for The Shape of Water. Which we've well already deserved. discussed. It is well deserved for everything. That's And we're not even getting into producing things. So I'm going to go through these. I have to give. Is this the list of movies that didn't get made? This is a list of movies that didn't get made. And we're going to go through them one at a time now. Uh, as as always, give credit as our friend Harlan Ellison has said. Always, he's give credit bench. to the writer. Give credit to the writer. This is from FilmSchoolRejects.com. I've got some that aren't on that list. So. Thank you, FilmSchoolRejects. There's 45 movies on here. Do you want me to hit 45 all projects? Of them? 45 some of those projects. Aren't yeah, some of them were never, and most of these were never made. So, uh, well, a couple were made. 3393, in late 2007, Del Toro revealed that he was working on a spiritual sequel to Pan and Devil's Backbone, which would have marked the final installment of Fantasy Trilogy set during the Spanish Civil War. And I so can't believe I can't think of that guy. That's killing me because I can't think of him. And I know it too. Um, anyway, yeah, I know it as well. At the time, the project was shelved so he could focus on Hellboy 2. However, given how personal Del Toro's Civil War fairy tales are to him, his fascination with stories during conflicts is certainly not worth rolling out quite yet. That'd be great. Uh, so the next one was uh, Alma. It was a uh, DreamWorks animation. was developed an animated feature list based on Rodrigo Blas' short Alma. Blas was reportedly re uh, set to direct the movie and Del Toro serving as executive producer. Never happened. You want me to keep going? Or do we just pick some? Okay. Uh, I think we, you know, the, the big one that I want to talk about, well, there's several big ones, but... Is it this one? Actually, no. That's the one I want to talk We're about. We're going to talk about that one, though. That's mm -hmm. one of the ones I want to talk about. I think the big one, and you can see it in actually Hellboy 2, and I think the three of us, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we got really excited about it, is his Hobbit trilogy that he was supposed uh, yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it we, was never going to be a trilogy. It was two films. Oh, it was only going to be two films? It was only going to be two films okay. Del Toro was And, very, you know, it was going to be the, the story of The Hobbit. The and, Hobbit, yeah. And really quick, and can I finish how it ended up being a trilogy? I actually know. Go ahead. Peter Jackson was only going to do two, two. Yeah. Because our, for FYI, if you're fans of Tolkien, The Hobbit is about like these. It's a really compared thin book. Compared to the other ones. Compared to Lord of the Lord of the shit that's this wide <laughs> rings. And don't get me wrong, I'm a huge Tolkien fan. I will talk to you about it anytime you want. I'm not Stephen Colbert talking to you an elvish mm -hmm. fan, but I'm pretty pretty good. And The Hobbit's about like this. It, you could do it all in one two-and-a-half-hour movie fairly well. Right. And if you wanted to do one three-hour epic out of it, it would have pretty much encompassed it. What do you yeah. all think? No, I completely agree. I totally agree. So, But they wanted two movies. Why do they want more movies? Money. Money, right? Right. And a trilogy is a trilogy. Absolutely. So they were going to do it in two, and then Peter Jackson shot so much that they ended up doing it in three, and I'm sure money played into it as yeah. well because they kept shooting and adding to the story. Del Toro was going to do two. Go yeah. ahead. Well, no. Um... 
He was writing well, it. Well, the, the first he thing, was gonna be the he, he was going to write it, and he was going to direct it. And the reason he quit is because he said it was going to take too much time away from his family. Which he'd already spent a year in New Zealand. Which he'd already spent a year in New Zealand doing and he's this. he still got co-writer credit. He got he's co-writer, co-writer credit. credit. And, you know, the last, the last scenes in Hellboy 2 made it... It was kind of like a preview of what he would we were going to see when he did the Hobbit, yeah. mm-hmm. and I was so excited. We were all three excited. Excited! About, it was the best choice. If Peter Jackson yeah. wasn't going to do it, and it then of course when he backed out, they were so far into the project, and that's and if I'm not mistaken, that's why you see more CG in the Hobbit than you did the Lord of the Rings because well, Peter Jackson just didn't have time. Apparently, he said specifically in the first Hobbit film that there wasn't enough pre-production time for him, not as much as there was on Lord of the Rings. FYI, gives a, I'll talk about this a little bit more if you don't mind. I'll give you a little bit more light on this in Lord of the Rings, too. We can spend a whole episode on Lord of the Rings. Uh, a shout out to Rick uh, to uh, Mick Garris's post postmortem. They have an interview. He did an interview on there with Bob Shea. Robert Shea ran New Line Cinema. He was the one of the last. Him and more Harvey Weinstein were the last two moguls mm-hmm. in Hollywood. Correct. Yeah. People who could actually say greenlight that and had creative control to do so. Shea, yeah, uh, Shea's still out there, right? Robert Shea's still alive. So uh, no, I'm saying though he's not locked up or nothing. No, Bob Shea didn't rape anybody, to my knowledge. And his sister, think, Lynn Shea, is a fine character actor. Oh, Lynn Shea. Lynn Shea. And we could do a whole episode oh, on Lynn Shea, gosh. but we'll talk about that later on, right? Okay, yeah. Anyway, Critters too, Lynn Shea. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, Mick Garris, he talked about it, and he asked him about you know him greenlining it, and he said, well, once again, it was like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You need to go back and listen to this, and several other projects. We were the last stop that got told no by everyone else. Well, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was actually an independent film. Not a lot of people realize and that. He wanted to, and he at that time the studio was in. They had, a, they had, they were looking for product, and he said because the Weinstein's were going to do it for two movies. They're going to do Lord of the Rings for two, and Del Toro was going to do it for them. Did you know that? Yeah. So not Del Toro, Peter Jackson. I'm so sorry. Got it there, and he said I would have greenlight six. Mm-hmm. If we could have made six, it's like why are we doing two? There's three books. There's three. So it makes sense that when later on they do The Hobbit that they want to do three movies, the big a trilogy. What could have been, I don't know. Del Toro has said that he left. I think there was creative problems too behind sure. the scenes uh, between him. And I'm sure Peter, ja- Peter Jackson is a genius, by the way. Yeah. Or at least a fine filmmaker. He is. He is, but his last but few films pro- have been well, very disappointing. Well, the problem is, what do you do? What do you do? Yeah. You made Lord of the Rings. Where do you go? But... But do you think that, I think he should have went granted, back and did small budget films for the He should have done small budget films and granted uh, you know I can't believe we're we're talking about Del Toro we're doing about Peter Jackson. Yeah, he did King Kong, he did um what's the movie? With, and an hour and a half of King Kong are amazing. Uh, Problem is the movie's almost 3 hours long. Yeah, and what's the um the movie he did about the girl? The the fleshy bones, what's it called? Oh, uh it's not fleshy bones, it's it's based on the popular book. It's not yeah, a very good movie. Yeah, well, yeah. An hour know, of that doesn't suck. You know, getting to that point, Peter Jackson did those. Lovely Bones. And George Lovely Lucas, Bones. after he did Star Wars, he did Howard the Duck. Pretty bad boy. <laughs> Give Peter Jackson credit. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I think that the problem, talking about creative differences, do you think it's possible? I, I mean, because I just don't think people have the same vision. They don't have the same no, vision. because and I'll it, be honest, if I read a book and then you read a book and I, you ask me to quote-unquote storyboard a scene from it and you storyboard a scene it's going to look different it's, it's going to look different even if you're both and one of them is is del toro and the other peter jackson they both are are wonderful filmmakers both 
come from low budget roots that you and I and the three I worship to Peter Jackson Dead Alive oh, which I'm, is called Brain Dead in the rest of the world is one of the best zombie films ever I, made yeah I agree and, and, I, you know, and, and it is Peter Jackson I worship Peter Jackson High School I mean Meet the Feebles if you haven't seen Meet the Feebles check it out it's, it, it's, it probably would be released as NC-17 now if it came alternatingly out. Oh, yeah. though and I think the thing that Peter Jackson was able to pull off effectively and it shows a little bit in the Lord of the Rings trilogy still but is alternatingly just horrific. Yeah, there's some... And then hilarious. Hilarious. So, we're getting off Del Toro. He made a comment that they were getting to the point where there was going to be some arguments. Yeah. And I think a lot of it was over Smaug. I can never... I always want to call him Smog, But I, I'm pretty sure it's Smaug. Um, lots of things like that. There never should have been three movies. No. I would have loved to have seen what Del Toro done. Uh, yeah. Even if it had been... And even if it had been a flawed masterpiece, it probably would have been superior to more of the same. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I yeah. More of the same. More of the same. While we're talking about literary adaptions and people like Tolkien, can I bring one up? Sure. He was going to do before Mimic. He was going to do Sand Kings. Oh, I don't have that on here. Anybody know anything about no, Sand Kings? No, no. I was going to talk about Kings the Winds and the Willows. Is a Hugo oh, Award winning. Short story by this young upstart. Most people don't know him anymore. He's George R. R. Martin. <laughs> Never heard um, of him. And before Mimic... Talk about hitting it when you get older. Yeah. Before Mimic, he approached George R. R. Martin and said, Hey, I'd really like to adapt your story, Sand Kings. And George R. R. Martin went, Sure. And the plot to Sand Kings is, it's set on this alien world, Bador or something like that. And there's this, um, this guy that collects and you can see del toro directing this i just picture it in my head kind of like chronos kind of all that creepy background stuff the guy is a rare animal collector mm -hmm. and unfortunately something happens and a lot of his specimen dies so he goes to this shop and originally um george R. R. martin's plan was to develop a series of these stores where this shop moves around different universes and realities but anyway it's this it's mysterious shop where they have these where they sell creatures, and he's not interested in creatures. And then finally, um, they say, well, we do have Sand Kings. And Sand Kings are these somewhat insect-like, all of this stuff. And there is the Maul, which is what they call the, the queen, basically. Yeah. And it is everything. And then there's the workers, the drones, basically. The mall can't move, but the workers, it has telepathic communication. And they adapt to whatever place you put them in. You can see where this is going. He basically buys them all out, and there's four breeds of them. There's ones that look orange, there's one that look red, white, and black. And I he buys them all. Red, white, and blue. Duh. And I got, he, uh, well, Memorial go? Day weekend as we're shooting this show. And the he, home of the two-for-one soda. He put... <laughs> He puts them all in cages, keeps them separate, yes. and then he finds that if he projects his image on, into there, that they'll actually start to build these temples that have him built into them because they view him as God. But then he gets bored with them, so he starts to starve them, so they'll fight each other for food. This escalates until finally um, they start more or less trying to kill each other and all that stuff, and some of them, he, he, there's a, uh, he makes basically his ex-lover mad, she breaks down the cages. It sounds they, convoluted, James. They get loose, and since they adapt to whatever space they have, they have the entire world. Oh. And they grow. 
I need to read this. Is this and a short did, story? Yes, it's a novella. Yeah. So this is all um, the animals are the characters. The Sand Kings are the, the Sand main Kings are the characters. characters. And basically, the ending of it, not well, basically giving it away is um, the people that sold it to him come back and say, "We'll take care of this. You just need to run." And he starts bringing people to his house to sacrifice them so they'll eat them instead of him. Um, and then they basically make him into the the Sand King start to realize he's the devil. Uh, he runs off. They can't find one of the group of Sand Kings. And the last scene is he sees a house in the distance. He thinks he's finally to the escape place. And as he runs up to the house, he realizes that the Sand Kings turn around and they it's the Sand Kings and they've started to look human and they all have his face. So and it's they, like Mimic. And they drag him in to eat him. That's a, that's a lot. That could um, have been a, this could have all been solved really quickly with just a Crave case. <laughs> just What's saying. funny about that? White Castle, send us money. You, the reason it ended up falling through is actually had. Don't send your burgers. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Two of the three boneheads love White Castles. I'm uh, sorry you like your crystals, you sick bastard. But what the, you know why this actually didn't happen has nothing to do with Del Toro or George R. R. Martin. Why? Um, before they could actually bring it together, there was this uh, relaunch of a show coming up that they wanted to use it to make the first episode. Sand Kings became the plot of the first episode of the Outer Limits relaunch. Oh, really? So that's why that one didn't come together. Oh. But it, can you imagine with the way Del Toro does yeah. certain aspects of horror based on a George R. R. Martin story, how we could look back at that now and be like, oh my God. That's a, huh. Sand Kings. Look at it. The story's great, but I never knew it was going to be a Del Toro film. So, my, mine is at the Mountains of Madness. Now, that is based on a H.P. Lovecraft book, novella. Yes. Which, the fact that Del Toro hasn't made a Lovecraft, a Lovecraft movie is a tragedy. Is a tragedy. Uh, it is one of the more famous ones. It's probably not his best one, but, Love, uh, but Del Toro, what we've never had... We've had tons of Lovecraft ripoffs. We've had tons of Lovecraft adaptations. Uh, love letters too, but we have never never had, had a big budget faithful Lovecraft adaptation. No. Pacific as, Rim has a lot of Lovecraft. Oh as, yeah, as some people would argue, Hellboy has a lot of Lovecraft. Oh yeah, yeah. As as some people would say, we have yet to have a balls to the wall. We've never had a balls to the wall, and it's going to be balls to the wall. Not only was Universal going to back it at a hundred million dollars. They had, he got Tom Cruise to star in it and said he would do it. Tom Which is Cruise. kind of shocking considering all he wants to do is Mission Impossible and, and hurt himself. And... Did you, but, but we'll get yeah, yeah, that we'll go. Based on Lovecraft's story of the same, uh, about and a terrifying... You know, Warship and L. Ron Hubbard. Too. Yeah, Antarctic Expedition. The project has been stuck in development hell since 2010 due to its demanding cost and Del Toro's insistence on R rating. Del Toro said that he might be able to make it for PG-13, but... It could be R, and that was the sticking point because a hundred million dollar film, even with Tom Cruise in an R, was considered a gamble. Even though we just saw it yeah. make a half a billion dollars more worldwide, and it's just about whether you make a good movie or not. A lot of times, right? Uh, I would have loved to have saw it. I know he had written a part in for Ron Perlman. Yep. And one of the things though is because the only two casts confirmed for that movie, I believe, were, were Ron, Tom Cruise Tom and Ron Perlman. Yeah. yeah. But at least, uh, but I guess Prometheus has a lot of the same elements of what he was going to do Because he the was still trying to do Mouth of Ma Mountains of Madness until Prometheus, Prometheus came and, and out. And then it scrapped it. And Another... then he scrapped it. It said that they thought... Well, the last thing I read was before Prometheus came out that he thought it had 
similarities that were awfully close. Yeah. So, I, I mean, we've never gotten one. Del Toro's the person to do it. I don't know that we'll ever get it. I'm sure we will eventually. I mean, time, right? Yeah. Somebody's going to do but it. But still, I mean, it's been... And we still haven't got a Del Lovecraft We've never movie. got a big-budget Lovecraft film, and I can't believe that it's never happened. Yeah. You mentioned It, by the way, making money. One of the projects that came up was Del Toro was going to do It... And Del Toro is going to do Pet Cemetery. Do you know the story about Del Toro's Pet Cemetery? No, I didn't know he was going to do either one of those. He wanted to do them, and here's the funny story about part about Pet Cemetery. It was all together. It got scrapped at the last second. Do you know who uh, who wrote the screenplay though for what was going to be Del Toro's Pet Cemetery? No, Matt Greenberg of Halloween H two O fame. Oh, I literally would have just loved to have been in that room. Okay, we had Del Toro. Yeah, let's get that Halloween H2O guy. Let's see what he can put together for us. In all fairness, I'm not pissing. H2O is not a good movie, but blaming a bad movie on the no, screenwriter, no, no. once again, is yeah, like yeah. saying, the key grip really screwed this picture up. But yeah. Del Toro said he wanted to do it in Pet Cemetery, and at one point there was at least brief mention the studio was saying about doing a Del Toro King trilogy. Got scrapped. Yeah, of course. So there you go. I didn't know he was going to direct Beauty and the Beast. That was one that I was going to bring up. Beauty and the Beast and... Uh, he backed away from it. The Actually, live action version? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, Bill was going, he was going to... Bill Condon's the one who took it yeah, over. Yeah, I know Bill Condon took it over and... Ugh, God. I never but, actually know, watched it. There's, it's actually, painful. There's another one. Speaking of Disney, things that were Disney films that he got... His Pinocchio. Del Toro's Pinocchio. If yeah. you know the full story about that, it was going to be Del Toro directing for Jim Henson Company. Yep. Music by Nick Cave. Wow. Tom Waits doing the voice of Geppetto. Matthew Ryan. I just need a little boy. Good to you today. Matthew Robbins. The Scotch Whiskey. Ooh, Tom Waits' best movie role. Mystery Men. I was going to say Seven Psychopaths because I'm accurate. No, no. Mystery Men. No, I thought it was. What about Dracula? Mystery Men. uh, Oh, Renfield. Mm. No, Mystery Men. Nah, no. I think it was Seven Psychopaths. (laughs) I'm going to come and kill you now. (laughs) And drink. Can smoke. <laughs> Sorry, you sound like he's, you've had a bad he's, day. He's almost. He's a, he's a cross between. My Tom Waits is almost Louis Armstrong. Oh, oh, Matthew Robbins is collaborating with Del Toro on that. Matthew Robbins worked with him on Mimic, Don't Be Afraid yeah. of the Dark, which never happened. Never happened. Either. Crimson Pe- and Crimson Peak. But yeah. the other part about this was Shadow Machine was going to be the one doing the stop motion for it. Now Shadow Machine is best known to most people for Robot Chicken. But they've never done anything with a big budget. It was going to be kind of exciting. What killed it? Paranorman, Frank and Weenie. Yep. When those underperformed, they were like, nobody cares about yeah. stop motion anymore, and they killed it. I uh, would have liked to have seen his Blade Three too. His Blade Three, yeah. he he went on to do Hellboy instead, but Blade his Blade Three would have taken been post apocalyptic. Yeah. And would have been they find Blade and the, the, the basically had been a little like I Am Legend, I think, in the sense of the vampires. Which he was also attached over, to it one point. Yeah, and the vampires had taken over the world, and I think that would have been much better. As we keep going through, what about Dark Universe? Oh, is this the Justice League? Justice yeah, League. Oh, also man. called Justice League Dark. Dark. This is the one uh, that, it, that when they announced that, I was just like, oh my God, please do this. Because. Oh, Warner Brothers, quit messing up DC Comics. <laughs> well, I didn't realize that Alex Kurtzman and Chris Morgan, who had rebooted the Justice League, or the Dark, Dark yeah. Universe, because they'd done The Mummy. They did right. The Mummy, right? And The Mummy, by the way, with Tom Cruise, is not a terrible film. It's not good. 
No. But it's not any worse than the Brendan Fraser ones either. Yeah. In fact, it's darker. Did you see it? I have not seen it. It's darker. I will give them that. But I have a hard time. I have a hard time watching Tom Cruise. I like Tom Cruise. Yeah. Let's talk about Halo. Um. Oh, Peter! Another movie that Peter. Uh, Peter, Peter Jackson, Jackson was going to produce it, and and they wanted Halo. Del Toro yeah. to direct it. Yeah. So what happened with that movie? Well, uh, French. Uh, uh, when that didn't materialize, then they got Neil Blomkamp, who went on to do District 9, yeah. signed on to direct, and that didn't work out either. They still haven't done it. And there's really not a reason other than I would imagine that it was probably creative control. And, and Halo's kind of fizzled out at this point. So. He was going to direct Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, too. Because that's that another thing wrong. that we have yet to see. Well, y'all are going to say Silent Hill, I think, but that's a, that, a, a good video game movie has not happened. There's you mentioned some. Silent Hill. Do you know Del Toro's connection to Silent Hill? No. Uh-huh. Del Toro was going to do a video game, Silent Hills. It was going to be the ninth game in that series. Del Toro was going to direct, write, script, do the entire gameplay storyline with the company. It was. It, they actually released a trailer. It was in place. Norman Reedus, I think, was one of the voice actors. Okay, for so it. this was the Norman Reedus Del Toro video game. Yes. Okay. Do you know why it fell apart? No. Legal troubles. Basically, the company that owned um, Silent Hill, the creator of Silent Hill, created two other huge franchises for him, and I'm blanking on what did, what they are. But he had a falling out when they were working on the last game, and he said, screw it, I'm leaving the company. And as soon as he did that, they're like, we're burying all his projects. Oh. And so Del Toro has said, because he's worked on four or five different video games. There was a video game that was going to be called... Um, Insane that he worked on. It was it in the uh, membrane. Uh, Hater was another game Hater, that he worked Hater's on. Hater's on here too. Insane. Uh, Got no he brain. worked on a bunch of these video games, and he he recently said in an interview that he said he, he goes, "I love video games. I'm going to have to stop doing it though because I am the albatross of the video game industry." And so. Um, yeah, Silent Hills, actually, that was his quote when it finally got completely scrapped. I'm the albatross of the video game industry. Every video game he's been attached to, at least some of these films have been made, but he has never successfully yeah. got a game out the gate. Hellboy 3, we'll never get it. No, no. we'll never get it. And, and, and I mean, not Del Toro's. Not, not Del Toro's. We're getting one from Neil Marshall that's starring the guy from, who's a good actor, and Neil Marshall's a great director. I, yeah. Well, he's a good director. I enjoy Neil Marshall's work. Yes. Uh, Dog Soldiers, we've talked about him on here before. Check out Dog Soldiers in the Descent. And he just, I believe he just directed the very first episode of The Lost in Space. I think so, too. Yeah, which is really good. Is it? Yeah. yeah I have watched it. It's it. worth watching uh yeah but we'll never probably never get it now uh they're doing another hellboy with a totally different actor totally different director we'll never get the third one uh, it's a shame i if worst case scenario i actually wish he'd just write the book of what he wanted to do because yeah, hellboy's yeah. too yeah, set up for yeah the, hellboy or, too or, set up or he was involved in the cartoon hellboys yeah you do it in the cartoon the sword of stones or whatever yeah, fire and ice right Is yeah, that something like that yeah um so i am legend James mentioned that one. We never, we did eventually get Richard Matheson's I Am Legend with Will Smith, but not directed by Del Toro. Del Toro. We do need to talk did you, um Did you hear about his version of Pacific Rim, his sequel that he wanted to do? No, I thought he was one of the writers of the Pacific Rim sequel. Is he not? Well, what's the sequel called? Uprising. Because I read a, a thing, and I, how accurate this is, I don't know, but that his version was going to be called Pacific Rim Maelstrom, and it was basically the idea that after they beat back the kaiju, the kaiju go back and mechanize 
Mm-hmm. And it was going to be our mechs versus them in mech suits. That, that's always better. Like Blade 3, that plot. Yeah. But we've got another crappier plot. Is it? Um, I think it's a budget thing. He's out. And they go, well, this would be cheaper. Well, and that's basically what they said with his with it was um, that the first one um, made money overseas, but not so much in America. And then the studio got really nervous after Pacific after Crimson Peak. That Crimson Peak broke even, and they were worried that kaiju robots would be way more expensive. So Mephisto's Bridge. At one point, Del Toro tried to adapt Christopher Fowler's novel Spanky. Under the title Mephisto's Bridge, which yep. would have been a darkly comedic Faustian tale about a male man who sells his soul in exchange for a devilish one. Uh, that would have been awesome. Yeah, this is another project that's destined to go down in history as one that almost came to be. However, some sort of Del Toro's ideas from this one were repurposed for Hellboy 2. Um, keep on going. I'm sorry, my iPad's going a little slow. Um, James, you next. I oh. think we need to talk about, before we run out of time, we do need to talk about the Haunted Mansion. Well, I, it's on here. It's just yeah. my iPad went. Um, you want to do the Haunted Mansion? Go ahead and I'll, well, I'll do it. Do you have Do you have the reason why the Haunted Mansion wasn't made? Because I don't have that. Well, it but, still may be made. I my thing went down. So. Okay, so but, so yeah. If if you if you're familiar with Disney, has been making movies based on their rides, and the first Haunted Mansion starring Eddie Murphy had nothing to do with... Well, it was in a mansion that was haunted. It was in a mansion. And, and there was a lady in a ball. Yeah. And that's about it. And it's awful. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely... It's got Terrence Stamp. That's what that movie has going for it, is that Terrence has, Stamp. Okay. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God, it's awful. No, no. But if you just watch the 10 minutes of the film, cut it together with just the Terrence Stamp scene... That, 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 You're just wanting to get into the limey, and we're not here to talk about Terrence Stamps. <laughs> I like, I Terrence Stamp. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Terrence Stamps is the best part of the fan menace. Count it. He didn't do anything. And that's why he's the best part of the Phantom Menace. He was just there for somebody to go, Ew, it's odd. Anyway, back but no, to the... But the Haunted Mansion. Del Toro was going to do his version of the Haunted Mansion. And yeah, Crimson Peak is kind of a haunted house movie, but... Man, I just wanted to see the his thing version. is, is if you know anything about Del Toro, he owns a house called uh, Bleak House, and Bleak House, you, I have the book, and you can check it out. He did a book of all the art and things that are in Bleak House. Bleak House comes from a Dickens novel. A Dickens novel, and it basically stores all of his collectibles he's collected over the years. So he got sick of having to ask permission, so he bought a house and designed it to hold all this stuff and it's amazing and it's really cool if you look at pictures of it he's a huge fan of the haunted mansion he talked about actually in the documentary going back to mimic of when he was working on mimic that he bought he would go to disneyland just to ride the haunted mansion to get away from the weinsteins and all the things that were going on in the making of specifically in pre-production and post-production yeah that it was his way of getting away from it he just ride the haunted mansion and that's my favorite ride at disney too it's one of my favorite rides as well it, and I know a lot of people think it's one of those things. And I hate this iPad. One of those things that that's probably out of date, but I think it's cool. I think there's a movie there. If they can make a movie out of the Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah, that's make... funny. That's I, the first Pirates of the Caribbean, folks. First one, first one. Yeah, they've made several more. I, the Haunted Mansion should have been done, but he's a huge Haunted Mansion fan. He owns a lot of the memorabilia, a lot of the original stuff from that. So I. It, he is still involved with it, according to, but whether we'll ever see it or whether it ever get done, which leads to another Disney project he almost made, The Wind in the Willows. 
Wind in the Willows is a fantastic book. If you've got kids, I started reading it to my son. I enjoy them quite a bit. Uh, the Adventures of Mr. Toad, yes. which is another mm -hmm. Disney project. The, the story behind that was is that an executive said, can we make Mr. Toad ride a skateboard? <laughs> and supposedly Del Toro walked out of the meeting and quit. <laughs> because we were never, ever, ever going to be yeah. here. And I agree with him. He's Dad, right. Uh, I'm, I, I apologize. I think I'm getting this completely wrong. But there was one, wasn't his version going to be like, it wasn't actually going to be animals. It was going to be live people. I didn't know that. It I could be wrong. I, could I know. Be wrong. I know the haunted mansion as of last year. He said he's still working on. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not getting my hopes up. There's, just... there's a couple projects of his that I really want to talk about because I would have loved to see them, and we may still. Yeah, see I'm them. seeing it on your list, and I'm like, I did not know this. Um, first, I want to talk about Drood. What is now, Drood? Um, I mentioned the mystery of Edwin Drood before. It was Dickens' mm -hmm. last novel they never finished? Dan Simmons wrote a book called Drood. Very silent. And what it's about is... Yes. a It's about... Dickens almost died in a train accident five years before he died. And it killed several, several people. It was a big international news, this massive train wreck. He, Dan Simmons fictionalized that and said basically that when it happened, the survivors started to see someone that, they, that called themselves Drood. And it basically was a soul-sucking entity that appeared at these national tragedies and basically took people to the other realm. And freaking in, olive oil causing all those damn train wrecks. And um, and in the book, and yes, I'm victim blaming. It's not Bluto's fault. It's olive the oil. Book she is, let it happen. the The book, <laughs> the book is narrated. You never know what we're going to talk about victim blaming on this show. <laughs> the book is narrated by Wilkie, which, if you're you're familiar with Charles Dickens, it was a Somewhat competitor, but also friend who had opium issues and all that stuff. But basically, he narrates Dickens' decline, saying that it was because he's he was chasing this ghoul that showed up to these accidents. Del Toro loved it and wanted to adapt it. And it made it so far, and then just disappeared. The other one that I have to talk about is Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five. Five. Now, somebody explain to me what Slaughterhouse-Five, because I've actually never read I've it. I've never read it either. James? It is... A anti-war, somewhat comedy. It's really, really... It's Kurt Vonnegut, so it's really weird. But more importantly, you know who was going to write the adaptation of this? No. Kurt Charlie Kaufman. Oh. Uh, and here's why it fell apart. Charlie Kaufman of uh, Being John Malkovich. Um, adaptation. 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 God um, bless. Charlie Kaufman was attached to the screenplay for the studio, they wanted Del Toro to direct it, and here's where Del Toro said it fall, fell apart. The studio wouldn't commit to pay for Kaufman, because Kaufman's a very expensive screenwriter, according to the studio system. Really? Uh, and that's what he said. Until Del Toro signed on. Del Toro said, I won't sign on until I see Kaufman's script. I want to make sure I'm a right fit for it. So the studio says, we're not paying Kaufman until you sign on. And so Del Toro went, okay, and walks away. There you go. That's why Slaughterhouse-Five, one of Kurt Vonnegut's best, and matter of fact, one of, I would argue, the best of, one of the best novels of the 20th century we didn't get adapted by Del Toro. Um, you mentioned one in the Willows already. Uh, Del Toro was going to do Thor for a while. Yeah, no, that's true, too. He was going to do Thor for a while. Yeah. Um, one, we have had an adaptation of this with Ron Atkinson and uh, Angelica Houston, but Del Toro was going to do The Witches. Witches. 
which is oh. based on Roald Dahl's book. And yeah. Roald Dahl's books have included James and the Giant Peach, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Never Matilda, the BFG. Fantastic, Mr. Fox, the BFG. The only two that really haven't been adapted for major films. Um, the Witches was done as a BBC America uh, kind of. Was Angelica Houston? Yeah, yeah. From but late eighties, early nineties, right? Yep. The Twits and George's Marvelous Medicine haven't been adapted by any major thing. But The Witches, he was going to do it justice in that if you're familiar with Roald Dahl, actually if you're familiar with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, those are dark stories. The BFG is a dark story. And to see, and if you know anything about The Witches, if you like Roald Dahl, basically they discover these witches, all the stuff going on, and at the very end of it, a child has to make the choice the only way they can take him down is he has to be turned into a mouse. And he can't be turned back, which means he'll have the lifespan of a mouse, which is only nine years. And he comes to term with it because he finds out that his grandmother, who is his only living relative, is also going to die in nine years. And so he agrees to take down the witches so he and his grandmother will die at the same time. And Del Toro directing... Oh, it's a, a good, it's a good ending. I it's mean, good. can I you like see that? But the, the, the movie yeah. version has a happier ending, right? Because the whole the, movie... I don't, I don't remember. The doll was still alive when Angel... The, and he actually disowned it. He was furious. Because it was all... The boy gets turned into a mouse, and at the end, he gets turned back. And that does not happen in the book. And Roald Dahl blew up at that and wanted his name removed from it because he goes, you didn't make the witches. You made a film that involved witches. Yeah. And he was very old at the time, but he's, he, his, he was furious. That's funny. He said, none of my stories should have endings where everything is happy. That's not my been my life experience and it's wrong well, to everything lie was, to children. Everything was happy in the BFG. Now there's some kids that got eat. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah got yeah. eat. They got eat. And, and if you know Roald Dahl's history, not eat. They got eat. They got eight. If, if eight. you read any of his history, there's a reason he always believed that nobody gets away scot free. He had a very interesting childhood. He, had a, he was a, he, in World War Two. He was a spy. Yeah, he was a spy but, for the his, Her Majesty's Secret Service. Correct? Or, right? Yeah. Him and Ian no, Fleming even, and um, Ian Fleming. And, and there's another author. That but Roald Dahl was known for his prowess. Yes. Even even meaning he got it all with but lots even, of different. Uh, yes, keep going. Even in his youth, though, he had a rough youth. There's a story about a schoolmaster uh, just about beat him to death. A rough youths. Um, two youths. youths. <laughs> He's going to, um, in 2010, he announced that he would be doing a Van Helsing movie. Oh, uh, God, yeah, that never happened. Left Hand of Darkness. Now, Left Hand of Darkness is not based on the famous Left Hand of Darkness about Ursula K. Le Guin. Have you heard about his Left Hand of Darkness? What about the Right Hand of Dimness? That would be you. <laughs> the Left Hand of Darkness is a famous Ursula K. Le Guin novel, and everybody's like, oh my god, he's adapting Ursula K. Le Guin, who I talked about in the book episode. Yes, 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 Ursula K. Le Guin. it turned out his version had nothing to do with Ursula K. Le Guin. It was a Western version of Count of Monte Cristo that he himself described as, eh, it's like Wild Wild West meets Videodrome. <laughs> it had me a Videodrome. Do you know why we didn't see that movie? Because it's Wild Wild West meets Videodrome? No. He went to Legendary, and Legendary said, he, he gave them both scripts, and they said Crimson Peak's a safer bet. Uh. <laughs> yeah, he was going to, well, I could get into that. So, the other one that not a lot of people know about was, there, and this never got really past the conversation phase, but in 2007, Iron Man made money, and Neil Gaiman and Del Toro had a meeting about doing Doctor Strange. Yeah. 
And the studio actually announced Gaiman and Del Toro developing Doctor Strange, and it never went any further. Huh. Uh, Champions, which it was a movie that he was going to do. <laughs> I told you I had over 45. I know. Well, there's 45. I don't think we can get through we all of them. No, no. Oh, I found the 45 and then found 10 more. Champions was based on a 1960s British TV show about agents, secret agents with powers. Uh, that never happened. That's kind of on the nose. You want to hit You want to hit the highlights? I want to hit heavy metal. Yeah, I saw it with heavy metal. Heavy mm. metal. He was, was going to do a segment. David Fincher no, no, was doing I've, heavy metal. Actually, right? more than that. Heavy Metal 2008, it was announced. Yeah. It was going to be a sequel. Mm-hmm. Am I the only one who didn't like Heavy Metal? Oh, listen to the, who, who the, all was going to do segments. It's not a... I just don't... very much of his time. I enjoy it. I just, um, listen who all was going to do segments, though. And this was 2008. Zack Snyder. Yep. Well, Gore Verbinski. Okay. Jack Black was going to do his own segment. That would have been interesting. Tim mm-hmm. Miller and Finchner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Tim th- Miller of Deadpool fame, right? Yeah. Do, do you know who um, uh, killed that one? Disney? No. Heavy Metal, the rise to Heavy Metal, was bought out by this young upstart who wanted to develop, develop it as a potential show for some L. Ray network. <laughs> oh, Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> the other one, um, Lucasfilm did an Does initial... Does L. Ray network still exist, by the way? I think so. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's on. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, Lucasfilm approached him and asked him if he'd be interested in doing a Star Jabba. Wars movie, Jabba. Uh, he wanted yeah. to make it a Godfather, Scarface of. Now, of what Star I Wars. found out was it was not confirmed that yeah. he actually that this actually took place. I don't doubt. I that read it a didn't. comment that allegedly came from him. I didn't see a video of him saying it, but where he said that he wanted to actually show that the dark side is not the darkest thing. He wanted to show the true underbelly. Of this and if you see Solo, Solo has some of that in it. Yeah, uh, but man, Jabba for me is my favorite character in the Star Wars universe. Really? Oh God, yeah. What? Well, I went to. Well, it's like I told me and James had this conversation before the show. As you two know, and as if you listen to the show, the first movie, I, the first Star Wars movie I was introduced to was Return of the Jedi. And who's the first person you see in that? Jabba. Three PO and R two. Ah, shut up, Jabba. <laughs> And I'm like, oh my and god! The original this cut, it would have been it would have been Luke putting the building his lightsaber, but yeah. it got cut out. So I'm, you know, <laughs> Jabba was my introduction to Star Wars, and I'm like, it's such a cool character. And then he dies off, and I've always had this obsession with Jabba the Hutt, and I want to know this backstory because he's a giant fat lizard who doesn't do anything. How did he get to become this big criminal the that Huts, nobody man. will touch? The Hutts. Um, and, run- and and the fact that he's impervious to the Force. I yeah. want to uh, I want to run through the, some of these just because I wanted to see them. Journey to the West was going to be Del Toro's Ming Dynasty Chinese fantasy work. So yeah. his Shanghai Noon. Yeah, but the Monkey King. Monkey King took it over. Yeah. Uh, nutshell studies. See, uh, I read all these. I just chose to skip. No, some. <laughs> I wanted to, but I wanted to get to these because I think it shows exactly what Chad was talking about. <laughs> yeah. That. Uh, the Nutshell Studies, which would have been his crime drama show. And I have a question, too. This is my question about this whole episode that we should right. run yeah, before you go on. Yeah. Is it the fact that they're, Del Toro is the one guy who tries to do so many things and they keep getting... Or is there other directors who just are not as... All of them. All, I think... Or every, as... I, yeah. You, Joe Dante said in an interview, you get three you get three projects going and you hope that one of them goes. But one it, of them goes. Why, and, what it, and they all have tons. Think, but it seems I like Del Toro gets more coverage for all the projects well, that he's I was, yeah, going he is fa- to do. He is, he is, out of all the directors, more famous for what he hasn't done. Well, I was going to say, and I was going to say this at the end, 
but I'll say it now. I think one reason I love Del Toro is he makes these movies, but on top of that, he's also a fan. And yes. I think when he has a yes. chance to we do something... we smell our own. I think when he has a chance to do something, he wants to talk about it, which means, you know, if somebody came up to me going, hey, James, do you want to make him uh, adapt an Edgar Allan Poe work? If anybody asked me what's going on, I'm going to adapt Poe. Well, that may very well be it, because now we talk to people who do this stuff all the time and who have projects... And we'll say, we'll talk about it before the interview and after the interview. And a lot of times they won't even tell us. Remember? Yeah, yeah. Even off the record, they yeah. won't mention it because they don't want well, to talk about it. Or they'll just say, I got some things. I, I got some, some things. things. Yeah. And but a lot Del, of times. Go but ahead. Del Toro just gets so much coverage. But I think it's because he talks about it. And, yeah. we did, and I think I think a lot of people love him because he's a fan. Yeah. And I mean, because, you know, there was like, and the other thing is the movies that get made, they just come out of left field because I remember, if I'm mistaken, if, if I remember right, you hear, you hear Frankenstein, Haunted Mansion. Yeah. Uh, Mountains of Madness, and then all of a sudden you get, he's making Crimson Peak. What the hell is Crimson Peak? <laughs> or the Shape of Water. Or the Shape, Shape of Water, Water came out of out of left field too. Very and, you know, successfully out of left field. And as field, of right but... now, we well, he's not supposedly making any more movies. He's re, he's for really? a while. Did he say that he's he's taking a break. Is that what is that what he said? Yeah, he's taking a break. He's just pre, and he's producing a horror anthology series for Netflix. <laughs> yep, that that's something. Like and he also produces so. Troll Hunters, and he also produces The Strain, and he also wrote the books for The Strain with Chuck Hogan. We could go on to this anyway, really James, quick. Let's ahead. wrap this up. Uh, Runoff is based on a graphic novel by Tom Manning, but it's about a ta- a creepy old town that once you enter, you can't leave. Mm-hmm. And I can just see him having fun with that. I would love to see that. Um, this one, did you hear about this one, Joe? It, he considered it the unofficial end of the trilogy of The Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth. Is that the one I talked about earlier? No, Saturn and the End of Days. Yeah. It's about, the apocalypse has already happened, and it's about a young boy who survived the apocalypse and then just has to survive. And that's the entire movie I'd is. I'd like to see Seeing him survive. Uh, Silver, have you heard of Silver? I read about it. I he, heard of He announced it in fall of 2017, so this potentially is still happening. Um... It's a going. To, he wants to make it a black and white film about Mexican wrestlers who have to fight vampire politicians, and that sounds ludicrous to us. But, but he also familiar, made a movie with well, actually for you, Luchador Films. That's if you're familiar neutral. with Luchador Films, yeah, those so. go back to the 1930s, 40s, and they 50s. always fought vampires and yeah. monsters, monsters and those wrestlers who did them, and they were you know the, the masks, right? Yes. Here's the one. There's, it plays in the strain quite a bit, actually. One of the main characters is an ex. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah who fought right. wrestlers? <laughs> and who fought vampires? It plays even more in the show. There's, huh. there's watch the show. three more uh, that I want to run through really quick. But this one I, I wanted to, to see sl- so badly after I read about it. Like I actually got upset. Why do you start this. with your thumb? You're supposed to start um, with this finger. Because I'm German. Grant Morrison. <laughs> and Jack Grant Morrison is comic book writer. He uh, has wrote several. He did. Oh man, you're cu- you're catching me on the spot. Uh, he was the original cast of Saturday Night Live. He he uh, he wrote the story arc that had led up to the death of Batman. There you go. So he's a huge comic book writer. He's created all these great Batman characters. Batman ain't dead. Um, nope. He just got displaced in time. He wrote a story uh, for Del Toro called Sleepless Nights. The plot to Sleepless Nights is, is Tom a, Hanks is a widower. A world gets caught to where it gets caught in a loop where every day is Halloween repeating. Which means that the the route the, the the shield between the paranormal and our reality is so weak, monsters start going in between, and since it's stuck during that day, they keep coming over. And Del Toro read it and said, "I want to make this. It's Groundhog Day with monsters." Yeah, that's exactly good. what it is. And I was like, I'm, I'm assuming see- the villain would be Sam Hain. Um, Just from Ghostbusters. 
That Sam Hain. The killing of specifically. No, supernatural Sam Hain. The killing of Carnival Row is happening now without Del Toro, but the plot is it's in a neo-Victorian city where mythical creatures have been uh, relocated because war has started to destroy their natural habitat. So they create this city to create basically a ghetto for griffins and all these metaphorical, mythological creatures that actually exist and we're hiding. Uh, Del Toro isn't involved anymore, but Amazon bought the rights to it. Okay. And we'll get eight episodes of that. And there's just a normal guy named Griffin, and he's like, no, not that Griffin. <laughs> Griffin it, Dune. It's, it's Peter Griffin. Uh, the List of Seven. Is this your last one? Yes. Uh, other than mentioning that he, he was supposed to do The Watchmen. Yeah. And he said it was too big. Nobody too big. Do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but The List of Seven, I wanted to Yes, they're doing a TV series without The Watchmen. Because <laughs> it was a horror story where they had to get the only two humans that could solve these mysteries, well, two of a team of humans that could solve the mystery was Arthur Conan Doyle and Bram Stoker, and they had to in- investigate all these paranormal it's, ca- it's, it's pronounced Bram! That's, Bram Stoker! Out of, out of all of them, that and the Mountain Madness are the two I'd really like I, to see. I, I, literally sleepless nights, I was like, oh, just for the visuals he would have brought it's to just a world. It's just a world um, where all the water's so, been replaced with coffee. Wrapping this up, Del Toro is famous. Um, well, he's not more famous. That's really not giving him credit. But he is very famous for the projects that he didn't do. Oh yeah, yeah. I, and we have some wonderful. It's the films. only. It's the only case of a director where I can say that's that's true. We 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 didn't even get to the stuff he produced, like yeah. the orphanage. Uh, Mama, Mama, by the way, is is a bloody brilliant fairy tale that I loved. And the director went on to do the new it. Yeah. Well, uh, I was gonna say, and that's what, he, and I said that earlier. He brings all these talents around him yeah. um, and, and like I said, I said it earlier but I do think the reason I do gravitate Del, to Del Toro like you said as well is he's a fan like I look at what he wanted to make it's stuff by comic book writers passionate. and classic novels and new novels that play on all these tropes and he's never made a movie that isn't good they were interesting they were interesting they're all it good all flaw- and even the ones that we, we were crapping on they're not and we were all, yeah, they're, we're, they're just flawed. They're just flawed, but you know, still they're entertaining. They're entertaining. They will get you entertained. Absolutely. Like I felt like I was crapping on Crimson Peak. I love Crimson Peak. Oh, bubble statement. I really liked it. I loved it. Uh, the visuals got me. Yeah, yeah, the visuals are the. Well, and actually, I love the mother. So, mm. yeah, because I knew from the beginning. I guess that's part of the predictability. But I knew from the beginning. I'm like, no, that's good. That's a good character. Yeah. All right. Thank you all so much. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you're looking at YouTube right now, it's in the right-hand corner. I got it right that time. Yeah. And Del Toro, if you're still watching this, or if you watch this at all. Come on the show, brother. We'd love or, to talk to you. Or sue the hell out of us. Oh, that would in be which great. case, we get some notoriety. We don't have anything. Try taking blood from that turn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bonehead LLC owns this, this soda. This diet cherry to- Pepsi that he's about to finish off that was Chad's. Thank you all so much. Tune in next week. We'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> Welcome to Bonehead. My name's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're just folding it in there.